we gotta go. We don't know if we're gonna go at 80, 60, 30, or 20. But the one thing is to make sure when you go, you go the right way. You stand up for what you believe in. You put your money where your mouth is. You never fold. You never let the pressure sway you from doing what you want to do. You never let anything, the politics, stop you from coming around and staying around. And I hope everybody knows that that's what bro did. Bro stayed and he died on Crenshaw and Slauson. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen. I'm whipping it up. And today's episode is brought to you by Mr. OK's Essentials. Mr. OK's provides 100% all natural candles, body butter, and soap. So 100% natural ingredients, 100% black owned, and 100% vibes and love poured into every product so go to www.mrokesessentials.com enter promo code socks s-o-x and receive 10 percent off your next order all right for all the listeners of this show once again mrokesessentials.com promo code s-o-x make that happen and let me know what y'all think let me know what candle you like and i dare y'all to put on that body butter and say you don't feel like your swag is up just at another level because it's just something about knowing that the ashiness will not overtake you you understand you put on lotion you're feeling your skin being a little dry still not too much later but when you put on that body butter i mean look i need to get back to the show go to mr okay's essentials get right all right Keep sending me letters all rejecting me Treat my girl like a queen, yeah Alright y'all, so this is part three of the Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin conversation um, It was recorded on April the 9th At the cable radio station between Oba and I So without further ado, hope you enjoy Grace and peace Come on everybody Having a nine, especially since I haven't had one in so long, mm. is just making sure you don't put all your energy into that nine to five to where you don't want to do nothing afterwards. See, that's that's something that I have forgotten about. So I've been thinking about like, man, maybe I could just get a job just to have mm. some consistent money mm-hmm. or just whatever. But but then I'm like, nah, there was something about it that mm. I didn't like. So let me not hop back. That's true, bro. <laughs> I think, I yo, you know what? I really think that. Somebody, somebody made. I, I, I don't know where I got it from, but they said the grass is greener wherever you water it, and mm. I like, I like that a lot, man. I'm gonna, def- mm. I'm definitely keeping that in mind for sure. And that really is like wherever you choose to put your time and your energy and your effort is where you're going to shine the most. That's why with me, like putting more time and effort into the podcast and like getting the speaking gigs and all that type of stuff, and just like little shows that I'm doing, live shows. It's just like, man, that feeling, even though the money isn't what I used to make. Just that feeling of like building it mm-hmm. and just knowing that it's coming and seeing it happen. Like I never felt like that when I was working a job and I was making a lot of money like that. It, I, I mean, I would rarely feel like that, but it was just like it's a different type of feeling when it's 
your own versus you doing it for somebody no else doubt. and you getting like a little cut of it. You know what I mean? Damn, I gotta do taxes this week. You just reminded me. My like, brother, really you did your to... taxes? Like that's literally what Friday? No, right? This Monday. Week. Monday. Monday's the last. Monday's the fifteenth. Right. I'm, I'm gonna go do it all. Yeah, Monday is the fifteenth. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. You know, really obscene. It's the key to all the dirty jokes which come afterwards. You know, can you imagine what would happen to you, Nikki? I'm married to you. I go out to work. I come home. And you say to me, Baby, you know what happened today? I said, No, what happened? Well, you know, the Holy Ghost came by. Oh, he did, did he? <laughs> and, um, Joe, <laughs> no. Uh, the Holy Ghost whispered in my ear, I'm pregnant. Now, <laughs> I might. It, it is. <laughs> I love, I love, I love their, uh, what do you even call it? I love their reaction to, first of all, I love how he, how he, how he made that story. Mm-hmm. You know, I love how he brought that story up because it is bringing, um, it's bringing almost like candid, whatever you want to call it. It's bringing almost, uh, I don't even know what to call that kind of communication. Holy scripture into layman's terms, right? So in the scriptures or, in, you know, whatever you, wherever you read the story, you hear it in language that makes it that that deifies it that makes it big larger than life but then when you really bring it into layman's terms you're just like wait a minute am i really going to believe that am i going to believe that a word somebody 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 visited my wife (laughs) (laughs) a swan (laughs) whatever it is where this one yeah really i'm about i'm about to go find the swan i'm about to go find who whispered in your ear because you're pregnant now Mm -hmm. and i really found that um how do you Again, we're not going into a religious conversation because I was almost going to ask the question, like, how do you take that literally? But instead, how do you not use these parables, these stories and like personalize them to make them part of your lore? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's always possible to be able to take these stories you know, I don't, I'm, even if you're going to put a black face on it, even if you like the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. The first part of the Matrix was literally Genesis. Adam was running around. Adam, he had the perfect life. He could be his pseudo self. He had his real life job. He was making money. He was doing something on the side. He was searching for what he was searching for, but he was living his life. And in the Matrix, it wasn't until Trinity brought him in front of Morpheus. Morpheus was the snake and the, the serpent in the garden, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Trinity was the only reason that he was able to talk to, to the serpent. And the serpent gave him a choice, right? Mm-hmm. The serpent said, you could have this pill or that pill. And the only reason I know which pill he took was because what color is an apple? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he took that apple. And so instead of making these personal to us as a culture, I think that would have been a lot more enriching. But instead, we made it like literal. And now we're looking at somebody that like left and is going to come again because our savior is going to come save us or something like that. Mm-hmm. Com- Community wide. We're not talking personally. Um, I found that really I found that really powerful because they brought it down to to my level. 
right? Mm. And that is a conversation that could have overheard anyone talk. Or that is how I would have reacted to that conversation. It's like, you did what? And now you're pregnant? Yo, we, how are you pregnant right now? We haven't, mm-hmm. we haven't had sex yet. Or in however long. Or, and so this other person came and visited you, and, and now you're pregnant? Oh, oh, this was God? Oh, all right. Let me go. Let me go find God so I can have a personal conversation with God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is this is a part of this where, um, in the intellectual community, it's hard to it's hard to not make fun of dogmatic religion. Mm. It's really difficult because so many people have given up their ability to. You would never. When it comes to re- religion, is the only thing that people accept without question, right? If you went to a car lot, well, let, let me let me hop in. All right, talk to me. Um, you said a lot. You said a lot. Kind of hard to compartmentalize it, but um, religion is like a means of safety. Religion is man trying to know about himself the here and now who he who he was before who he is now and what he will be after and so those are that's a common theme that's a common question throughout all humanity so religion to me is like an exercise of just knowing oneself who you were who you are and where you're going and so Everybody tells that story in a certain type of way. So the the dogmatic part is what I'm removing myself from because dogma is very dangerous when it comes to how it works for everyone, not just for yourself, because dogma just like serves yourself or it serves a certain group of people, but it doesn't serve everybody. That's one thing that I'm realizing. And so... um it is funny when he tells the story. Oh, it's, so funny. it's it's hilarious, you know. But uh, it's it's one of those. But it's like a serious thing. Like, do we really believe that this is the way that it went down? And if we be honest with ourselves, that virgin birth story is not unique to Jesus and Mary. It happened many a times. It's one of the. I mean, but it's but all of these stories. It's just man trying to remember where he came from. And that's that's how I see religion. How are you I think you're 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 conflating two things and like you're saying you're talking about scripture. You're talking about these stories that were passed down. Mm-hmm. That isn't religion. Religion is what is made of these stories that are passed down. So I, I, I'm, I'm listening to you say the things that I agree with, right? Mm. These things that – these stories that were man trying to figure out his place in the universe, mm-hmm. his understanding of how he relates to all these things, why on, the spe- on a special scale, he's the only one that has these abilities to be able to, you know, discern, you know, self-actualization, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. That is all very different from religion. Mm, okay. Right? Okay. And I, and I hear you saying that the dogmatism is what – takes you away from religion mm-hmm. and i really appreciate that for sure because um 
one thing that I understand, and it's funny because we're going to talk about our, we're going to talk about your your homeboy, all right, Andy. Um, but the ability mm. to the ability to entertain a thought without accepting it is a sign of intelligence, right? So when you look at the immaculate conception, if you can, okay, let me take a step back from what I believe. Let me listen to this story and see if I can integrate it into my life, right? If you were able to do that, there's nobody on this planet that could be like, oh yeah, I relate to that. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no commonality. There's no way that you could relate to a story with that, like that. So why do we choose to ignore our God-given reason mm-hmm. in exchange for, I guess, hope, faith? The exchange is eternal life. You're going to have eternal heaven, life anyway. The, no, no, no. But that's, that's what I'm trying to tell you when it comes to religion. The selling point is eternal life. Right, right. So later on. Yeah. The selling point is later. So heaven, sac- that, that, sacrifice that now and, for the later. heaven and hell proposition is the biggest selling point in humanity. Mm-hmm. And so people will override their own intellect or reason because it has been told to them from generation to generation to generation. If you don't believe this book, if you don't believe this story in its entirety you will not be saved from eternal damnation. So, but look, if you accept this story and you accept Jesus, you are saved from your sins. And so you're going to heaven. But if you don't, you're going to hell. You tell me, you decide. And then you're, when you're given that heaven or hell proposition, I'm like, dang, I want to go to heaven. All right, well, all you got to do is say this prayer. And now you're going to heaven. But not on. But so you say the prayer and like, all right, I'm saved. And then they hit you with, oh, now, all right, you said the prayer. But look, this is how you got to live. So you got to live up to this. It's like, oh, well, I thought I just had to say the prayer. No, 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 no. I mean, that's part of it. You know, you're saved from your sins. But look, you can't sin no more. It's like, but I thought I was forgiven. Well, you are forgiven, but you can't keep doing it. Like, oh. So it's it's like a you get you get told one thing. You feel like you're good. And then you realize, oh, no, this is way, there's way more to it. So it's, it's low key bait and switch. But all of that, everybody does what they do because of the heaven or hell proposition. I guarantee you, if there was no heaven or hell dichotomy, there's a lot of people that would not be quote unquote Christians. Because a lot of people go to church. <coughs> bless you. Bless you. A lot of people go to church and do the thing and go to Easter and, and like they, they try to do like they just want to they just want to be good enough to make it into heaven that's it bro and uh so one thing that i i didn't grow up with it but something that i really um took to heart um when i was questioning see i think that that is that's a huge part that is missing from this is that when you're taught about when you're taught about something when you're young i remember one of my first friends i was probably 6 or 7 and he was older than me. Maybe he was like 9, 13, something like that. But he was like significantly older than me. And I remember him saying, if you mix, if you were crying and you mix your tears and your snot together, it tastes like bubblegum. And every time I cried, I would, only when I was done, I would always like, ah, oh, man, I wanted to try that thing that he told me. Right? Mm-hmm. So one day, I I was, I don't know if I was being emotional about something. I must have been 15. I thought back to that time where that dude said that. Mm. And I was like, oh, yo, if I, then I said that to myself, I was like, wait a minute. This guy really tried to get me. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, he really put something in my head 
that I believed for almost 10 years. Mm. I didn't try to do it until I realized I like, what, what is this? Oh, he got me. That was really good, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because of that, I don't know you call it self-reflection. I don't know if you, whatever you want to call it. At some point, there has to be self-accountability mm-hmm. to be able to think for yourself and say, does this make sense to me? If not, I got to throw it out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is really important when it comes to being a person, right? Oh, the, the quote that I was going to tell you is, with or without religion, good people will still do good and bad people will still do bad. You know what I'm saying? The people that are going to volunteer their time to be able to help whoever, they're still going to do it with or without. No, nah, I, I gotta say no. I mean it. It's it's not a it's not a uniform thing. You just can't apply that to everybody. It's it's, it's everything is nuanced, bro. Like there are people that have totally turned their rot their lives around because of religion. Malcolm X wouldn't have been Malcolm X if it wasn't for Islam. The nation of Islam and him being a Muslim. Like but you also the, have to see that as if he didn't go to jail and live the life that he was living before that. You can't just say if he was walking down the street and somebody introduced him to Islam, his life would have been turned around. It's never just one thing. It is a collection of experiences that lead a person to change. No, but, but I'm just I'm just saying that based upon what you said. I'm not saying like people can't change and people don't change for certain reasons. But what you said was. With with or without religion, good people are going to do good and bad people are going to do bad. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that are doing good because of what religion has brought into their life. And what I'm telling you is it you cannot just give all the accolades to religion because sometimes but, but somebody is people, desperate enough. People do that. People well, do let's that. Not, let's not I'm do saying. that. Let's not let's not do that. No, but I'm saying that's what people do. Certain people will go to the church, get saved. And turn their lives around and give all the credit to everything that they learned in church and the relationship with Christ or their relationship with Allah or whoever it is. I've seen it and I've heard it. I'm just I'm just telling you from my experience. You may not have experienced that. I have. So I'll just say that for me. But obviously it doesn't matter what I say because everybody has their own experience in this world. But I'm just saying I've seen it. Me growing up in the church and seeing people turn their lives around. I've seen it so many times where they were doing X, Y and Z. They came to the church. And they gave their life to Christ and they totally changed the whole course of their life. I've seen it many a time. So that's, that's all I'm saying. I've, I've seen it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I don't want to argue with what you're, saying, what you're saying because there's clearly, they clearly weren't selling dope on the corner. No. Walking walk to church and then be like, oh, damn, selling dope. Like it's, it may be, again, it is right. a collection of experiences that lead somebody to even walk into the church in the first place. That's fine. We don't, we don't have to agree on that. Word. Um, when it comes to religion in this context, when he talks about uh, Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin, how do you feel it is used, religion is used specifically, when it comes to the black populace? Uh, I think it's a... Uh I mean, and, and they get they kind of go deeper into this later on in the in the discussion. So we'll probably double back on this. But uh, it was all that we had at one point in time. Mm. So, I mean, it, it served its purpose for us. I mean, we didn't we didn't have anything else. In in America, I will say in America, like African-Americans, black black Americans, African descendants of slaves, like we didn't have anything that was our own. At one point in time, mm-hmm. all we had was church. That was our only time to be able to express ourselves and be amongst ourselves. Um, and 
yeah, just like I said, just the freedom of expression. It only it only came in church. And so because that was all that we knew and that was like the strongest part of the community, the most consistent part of the community that every week they could count on that type of experience. That's what it was. And it and it served us. It served us well uh, during that time, because, like I said, that was all that we had. Now, um, how is it used now? They're still relying on some of that that old like do as I say, not as I do. You know, just like show up every Sunday, give. They're not explaining anything. Like back in the day, you didn't have to explain nothing. It's like, all right, we're just going to do it because it's all we got. But now that we got options, like, all right, so why why am I here? It's like, well, God said, like, no, but for real though. Like, for real, like, why am I? So why am I doing this? Well, God said, no, well, I mean, I know what God, I mean, I know what you say what God said, but like. Options. Yeah, I got options now. And so the church hasn't been able to answer those questions of the options that everyone else has and all this other information. And so the because those tougher questions aren't getting answered, you know, you're starting to see church membership dwindle all across the country when it comes to the black community. So do you think that is positive or negative? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Do you have an opinion? Not really. For your personal life, how is it? How is not being in church impacted your life? Um, for me, I would say it's not about the church because, like, the church itself is a, is a good institution as far as like socially having a solid core of people that you can rely on and just like have a, a social network. Um, but I stopped going to church just because like I realized like a lot of the things that I was seeing in the church that they were saying was true or what they were saying was, this is how things are. This is this because of that. And then I like, I see in society, like, no, it's not even going that way. Not even close. Or, you know, saying that we're all, uh, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, anybody that professes Jesus. But then I don't ever see white churches coming together and, and helping the black community come into black churches and like, yo, we see what's going on. We want to help, you know, like in, in times of crisis, Mike Brown, Alton Sterling, whatever the case might be. Like, I don't see these white Christians who are supposedly our brothers because we supposedly have the same spirit. We have the the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's what the Bible says. Anybody that professes Christ. But I don't see those people having the same spirit as us. I don't see them fighting for us, for their brothers, because from what I can tell, white Christians. It's not about it. It's not about Christianity. It's about race with them. You know what I mean? Like if they're not white, like we don't, we're not reaching out. And so because I see that play out in society and like the way that I surmise it was like white supremacy is, is more powerful than the Holy Spirit, not in, in an archetypal, like in, in an archetype sense, but like on the, in the real world, like the way it plays out, I see racism. That's more of a, it's, it's stronger and more effective than the Holy Spirit. Because if you supposedly have God inside of you and you're connected by the same spirit, then we should be able to come together and do anything. Like there's nothing in the world that should be able to stop us if we have the life force, the creative force in us. But that's not the way things are playing out. So 
because I seen the inconsistencies, I just had to remove myself from the situation um, because I because I didn't want to cause any disruption among the people that was there that that still rocked with everything that was being said, because that's the worst thing you can do, period, is just like create division among people. You know what I mean? So. I just got out of there because I didn't want to create division. I'm still having these conversations on the outside, but I can't be connected to that system and then trying to call out stuff and then whatever, just become a problem. And so um, my life is still the same with or without the church. Um, But it's like, I just had to remove myself from that system. So um, yeah, man, I don't, I don't think it's a huge difference. Because, I, I mean, they're still my friends. <laughs> you know, my, a lot of friends that I met in church, we're still friends. We still talk. You know what I mean? So it's not like we still hang out. There's nothing different. I really think that's an interesting comment that you made when it comes to, um, you said, uh, creating, breaking up community. There's nothing worse than, like, just, you know what I mean, creating division amongst people and things like that. Yeah. And, yeah, that is... Uh, I won't I won't I won't try to, you know, harbor on that point, but that is something that is really interesting to say because I don't think that anything would have gotten done without the people that started disagreeing. Jesus disagreed from the Pharisees. You know what I'm saying? Like there were people that were inherently a part of creating that disruption that led to hopefully um uh, community consciousness that was able to break away from the way things were. So it's really interesting that you say um, that because I would be on the other side of that of that fence, but that's neither here nor there. No, go ahead and expound on that. Yeah, I mean, the status quo. If, by you saying, I, I, I'm thinking back to the allegory of the cave because I think that that is one of my favorite there's an excellent video on it uh, on YouTube, uh, like a, like an old school cartoon about it. And it's really about if you know better, how could you not want to bring the people that are close to you along with you? How could you not want them to know better as well? And, oh, I do. I mean, as far if you posing that towards me, like the people, not that you, I know. Not, no, not you particularly, yeah. but I'm, how could one not want to get their people on board with whatever they believe right yeah so for example i take it back to the psychedelic experience that is something that has been so impactful in my in my life Mm -hmm. that i really want others to experience that but i also know that there is a cost to that because just like pulling somebody out of the matrix some people don't want to be out of that and some people will hate you for bringing them out of that because once you give somebody knowledge, they can't be ignorant anymore. And some people really, really hate that. This isn't an easy life. Not Knowledge isn't easy. Knowing more and having to do better isn't an easy choice. So, what, so what's the difference between if you say you're on the other side of the fence or what I just said, but like what you're saying is exactly what I'm saying? What I'm saying is it is a necessary part. I'm telling you, it is. that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is the worst thing to do is to create dissension. So I separated myself from but it. But what you're saying is, like, you don't want to give somebody that experience because they may resent you for that. I did not say I don't want to give somebody that experience. Or what, it, what I said was there has to be an understanding that giving somebody that experience, they'll regret it. 
that person will regret it. So there's always a risk. But that is the responsibility of having knowledge. The responsibility of having or doing better is that is the inconvenience of going back to the people you love. Just like Christianity. Christianity, on some parts, they're on the outside, right? In some places, they're the ones that have to be like, I have to, prof- I have to prophesize to you, whatever it's called. I have to get you on my side mm-hmm. because if not, you're lost. Mm. And I don't want to spend eternity with you suffering. So I have to be adamant about you coming over to my side. And the exact same thing is about not having Christianity. So so I should be religious with my knowledge and I should want just like Christianity wants to pull you in that direction, I should equally want to pull them in my direction. Is that what you're saying? You're saying I should be religious about that. What do you mean by that? Like what you, what you just said about is when people are Christians when they feel like they know what the right way is, they're going to go out of their way to try to bring somebody over to their side Correct. because they think it's the right way. Correct. So, and that's a religious thing. That's what do you mean? That's a religious thing. Christianity is a religion, and in a part of that religion is quote unquote winning souls and making disciples. Like that is a that is a religious call from Jesus. But why are you crediting religion with that? You know what I'm saying? Like if you were to, if if you were to eat. Because it's, it's religious. When I say it's religious, that is a, like it's essential to that belief system, and it's a it's a dog it's dogma. But the, it is not rooted that that religious system isn't the reason why people go out and prophesize. You know what I'm saying? Like for example, for me, when I learned how to make a good grilled cheese sandwich, right? When I learned to put the butter in the frying pan before I put the bread in the frying pan, I didn't know anything about that. But when I did do that. I was telling people, yo, bro, if you're going to make a grilled cheese sandwich, this is how you have to do it. This is the best way to do it. It has nothing to do with religion. It has something to do with knowing better or thinking you know something better. But listen, but <laughs> you're almost like defeating your own argument. Do you think Christianity knows better than everybody else? I think people in Christianity think they know better, but they don't have any, okay, any information so if, that's so founded if, on. So if if you don't know better and you're telling – and so are you saying like it's – it's cool for them because they don't know better to like I should I should copy them like not not know what I know or not know what I think I know and then just go out and just tell people to follow me. And I don't really know everything that I claim to know. Can I tell you that the difference between what you're doing outside of religion and what you do in religion has to do with knowledge and understanding. Now, if you are proselytizing to people or what is that, whatever that's called, if you're going out and trying to recruit people based off of something somebody else told you is very different from going out and recruiting people based off uh, based off a truth that you have come into contact with. But look, I'm I'm at the point where I can't I can't say that what I know is truth. Like who's who's to say that I have the truth? I don't know. Just like you don't know. Nobody knows. What if I, if we tell if we be honest, nobody really knows. We're all just learning. So I'm not because I just literally just removed myself from that institution. I'm not going to go on a crusade. Say, hey, man, I got the truth, man. Y'all need to know that this is whack. But I could be wrong. Christ, the Christians could have it right. But I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. Nobody really knows, bro. And that's and that's if we be honest, we don't know. So I am in a state of learning. I am learning myself. So before I try to go teach somebody what I think I know, I'm just learning. I'm soaking up game from people. I'm talking to people. I'm reading books. I'm learning, bro. 
And is so, there ever going to be a point where you think you know enough to teach somebody? It could be. There, that doesn't that doesn't exist, and that's that's the point of. I'm not saying when you, you know, it doesn't but exist when people do it all the time. The, a point, a point of saying I know enough to start teaching somebody. I don't think that people do that all the time. People learn and and grow and bring others with them. So tell me. So it sounds like you got it down. So tell me how you do it. How I do what? What you're what you're telling me to do. I don't understand what you're what you're asking me. How do you like you're you're telling me what I should do as far as like if I know better then I should teach other people in that way. So how do you do it so I can learn from you? When it comes to understanding what is and what not, what isn't, something like religion, I think it's very um easy to be able to communicate the consistencies of that, right? You can compare it to having a car, having a house, having something that is based in this reality that you live in. So I would never go to, I would never buy a house without going to inspect that house. I would never buy a car without looking at the Carfax report or driving that car. I would never do anything in my life based on blind faith, right? And so Nothing in my life works like that. So why would there be one thing in my life that works like that? I think it has to be clear across the board. For me, that's how I that's how I communicate my understanding of whether it's religion, whether it's science, because science is the same way. Don't talk to me about quarks and, and phasars and galaxies. I can't prove all that. I, I don't know anything about all that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't affect my reality here and now. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what we have common knowledge about, and let's work from there. I think if you can start from there, that is a very um, – that is healthier. And what I think about, again, I hate harboring all this, but what I think about certain things that – God, the universe, Mother Nature, whatever you want to say, put into our lives, cannabis, mushrooms. These are things that are undeniable. This is direct understanding and knowledge that cannot be refuted, right? Mm -hmm. So if if I have access to direct knowledge and understanding that can't be refuted, there is no reason why I don't think I can share this with other people. I may not know everything there is to know about these specific topics or about these specific um, entheogens, but I am never going to deny that whatever it has done for me, I know it can do for another. And I can't say that about religion that is copy and pasted from all these other but what, religions. When I, and that's that kind of circles back to what I was saying earlier. Like you say that because that's your experience. And you know what's true for you. You know that what psychedelics did for you is undeniable. And you're going to tell people about it because it changed your life. Is that correct or is that incorrect? No, I'm not going to tell people about it because it changed my life. I'm going to tell people about it because it is directly reproducible in their lives. I'm not okay. telling you what happens. So that, to... so, so that perception for mm-hmm. you, okay. based upon your experience, you perceive that. What it did for you, it can do it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's that's your perception of it because you've been through it, right? Okay. So I'm, I'm, so, I'm writing. I'm writing. So yeah. So so you know you know it to be true. You know what it's done for you. Like yo, this is just something that's from the earth. This it can do this for you as well. Now, the same way that you feel that way, certain people fall into a religion or accept a religion or get saved or whatever the case might be, and what they experience. And the way that they would describe coming to Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and what it's done for them and how it's changed them and 
and now now they have a whole different outlook on life. They will say that same thing in the same manner as what you're saying with mushrooms. You see what I'm saying? They're saying so, it's and, reproducible. They're yeah, saying that yeah, I could but, have the same experience that they have based on this preacher that tells them this thing. Exactly. And that's and that's, that's and that's, that's not, what people, that can't be true. No, I'm just saying that is true because that's how it works. <laughs> that's all I'm saying, bro. Like unless you go to the church and been in the church for years and seen how it works, that's how it works. I'm just telling you from experience. I grew up in the church, bro. I've seen people change their lives because of it. It's it's a spiritual system, bro. It's a spiritual system. Right. Spiritual systems work for people. They change people's lives. Right. And so if that spiritual system, where there's Jesus, where there's Buddha, where there's Allah, if that changes their life and they live by that system and now they have a codified way of living, their life is going to be different. No doubt. And better. It's, it's, it's going to be better. And so right. well, the same way you say it's better or it's it's different because of what you experience with the mushrooms, they experienced it with Jesus or they experienced it with Allah. And so it, their life is different. And so for you to say, well, no, that, that can't be true. It is true for them. You, you keep on saying for them. What I'm talking about is the reproducible effect. I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to give you any knowledge. All I have to do is supply you with a comfortable situation, a comfortable environment, trusting people, and, and something that the earth grew. I don't have to teach yeah, a, you. A reproducible I don't have to show effect you. Doesn't doesn't equate to anything. That, inc- that equates being, to truth. Being constructive. Though. That that what do you? That's the that's the basis of math. That's the basis. No, I, said, of I said it doesn't equate to it being constructive. constructive. Yeah, constructive. And that's what I'm saying. That's the basis of math. Math. Would you say math is constructive? Would you say crack is constructive? But that's going to be a byproduct. Is penicillin constructive? They both come from the same place. As far as penicillin killing viruses or whatever, yeah, that's constructive. So, so oh, but I, I know, I know you want to argue really hard, but like we don't have to argue about con- what what the definition of constructive is, and right? What, and what is I, or isn't constructive? You know that math is. You, you know that right? crack is not constructive, bro. What Smoking crack it? is not constructive. You're just saying anything that has re- a reproducible effect. Everything that has a reproducible effect doesn't mean just because it's re- reproducible does not mean that it's constructive or that it's good. No one, no, no one is arguing that. But that's what that's what we <laughs> argument. What our argument is about <laughs> is anything that's reproducible. Okay, I said there's many things that are reproducible just that aren't good. Reproducible that aren't that aren't constructed aren't good. Good and constructive is an are two interpretation. Sure, sure. Constructive is, is the same. Okay, <laughs> let's move let's move on from this fact because we don't have much time to to discuss a lot of these things, but. What I want to say is that you're you're convoluting something about religion. It's like saying somebody can go get a college degree or somebody can go to church and get saved. Those are two things that people will find make their lives better. One is very constructive. One has X, Y, and Z. One has steps. And the other one is very much until you feel this, right? There is one that is going to affect you on a, on a feelings level that will change the rest of your life. And there's one that's going to affect you on a mental level that's going to affect the rest of your life, right? These two things are going to be based on, based heavily on the people that you're around and the people that give you this information, right? You're learning this from people. You're learning religion from people. You're learning religion from um, hurt, not even hurt people, people, period. People all hurt. We all have these different things. So what's the difference between that and education? So, and education is an issue as well. And that's why I think...
that say the center is your sex. If you lose that, if you allow that to be destroyed, then everything else is gone. And you have to figure out a way of, of saving it from the landlord. Because after all, I had to watch my father and what my father had to endure to raise nine children on $27.50 a week when he was working. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't know what the man was going through at all. I didn't know why you know, he was always in a rage. I didn't know why he was impossible to live with. But I had not had to go through yet his working day. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't quit his job because he had the kids to feed. You know, he couldn't say as, you know, as, as our kids can, I don't like white people. He couldn't say anything. He lived his whole life in silence except in the church. You know? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't explain. How can you explain to a five-year-old kid you know, my boss, you know, called me a nigger and I, and I quit. And the, kids, and the kid's belly's empty and you see it, you know, and you got to raise the kid. You know, you've got to raise the kid. And your manhood is being slowly destroyed hour by hour, day by day. Your woman's watching it. You're watching her watch it, you know. And the love that you have for each other is being to be destroyed hour by hour and day by day. It's not her fault, it's not your fault, but there it goes because the pressures under which you live are inhuman. My father finally went mad. And I understood when I became a man how that could happen. It wasn't that he didn't love us, he loved us. It wasn't that he didn't love his wife, his, our mother. He loved her, but he couldn't take it. I found that really interesting because I, 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 I so appreciate James Baldwin's ability to relate and talk about the lives of men, um, regardless of sexuality. Right? Mm -hmm. I think he had a really, really firm understanding of what a black man, how a black man lived in America. Period. You know what I'm saying? Like, regardless of all these different um, tropes that we kind of categorize ourselves with. Mm -hmm. Do you think black men live with that same stress? Because the, the, the world that he's talking about is what, 40s and 50s? Yeah, 40s and 50s, man. Um, no, nah, we don't. I don't believe that we live with the same stress. It's, a, it's still a, a type of stress that we deal with. But, man, like the 40s and 50s where you didn't have no options. It was just you had to go like. It was either sharecropping or I'm a work in a factory. And your boss calling you nigger every day and ain't no HR to save you. <laughs> you have no no type of rights For whatsoever. Real. For real. You know, so um nah, we we're not facing that type of stress where we cannot express ourselves. And like I was saying earlier, like what James alluded to, like the only place the black man had for where he could express himself was the church. That but was the only place where he was free. Black men. I'm talking about back expressing. then. Expressing. Even. Oh, I, right now? Not even right now. I've never seen any footage. I've never heard any <laughs> lore. <laughs> I've never heard anything about black men expressing themselves in church. Oh, well, did you. Were you raised in church? Yeah. I went to Christian school, Catholic school my you whole know? life. Hmm. It was a it was a black school or a black church? Black church, not black school. Mm. And you didn't see dudes express themselves? I mean, 
singing every once in a while, but like, no. They didn't talk? Pastor didn't talk? Deacons? We're talking expression. We're not talking talking. I what, think you oh, know I'm the sorry, difference I guess, between those two. No, I, I think we have a difference. So what do you say is expression for a man? A man can still talk at a, at a job, right? He can talk at the factory. I know, I'm saying, what is what still, is expression if it's not expressing if talking? Expressing yourself is expressing expression. like emotion, feeling. The way I see when when I see hands go up and I hear, mm, you know, to pray, to, when I hear people feel expressing their feelings, mm-hmm. when I think of expression, I think of feelings. And I do not see and I'd never have seen black men expressing feelings. Oh, OK. Yeah, I've, I've seen it plenty. Of times. Could you tell me in a, uh, an example like in, in the church no, scenario? I mean, somebody's um, singing. Someone's shouting. Catch the Holy Ghost, start shouting, start dancing around the church. I mean, I've seen that. Um, and I, I consider, like, any you can express yourself in many ways. You can express yourself through song, through speaking, um, through dance, and I've seen it all. Hmm. Yeah. And do you think James Baldwin was inaccurate in saying that? What? What he was just saying about the black man in expression with church. No, I, I, he's, he's basing it off... His, like what he's seen in his life, so I can't tell him that he's inaccurate. No, but is and does that does that manage to play out in the same way in your life, to where you see black men repress themselves when it comes to expression and feelings out, outside of the church? Outside of the church, um, I mean, I think it seems like you you see it more now. Um, there's more freedom around that, like just with the millennial generation mm-hmm. being aware of like mental health and things of that nature. And so um, men are like, it's it's more welcoming for a man to express himself now. I feel like, it, you know, and, and, you know, outside of church, you know, you can you can do whatever you want to do. And people are, are realizing like they're sensitive to that. But back in the day. Everyone was trying to be extra macho, you know, and you can't you can't let a, let anyone see you cry or anyone see you whatever. So um, I don't think we've mastered it by any by any stretch of the imagination, but I see it as more. I just we just and we have more avenues to do it, you know. So if we want to speak our mind, we can speak our mind. If we want to cry, we can cry. In person, we can cry on social media. We can, you know, we can express ourselves in so many different ways. Um, and I think what James Baldwin was talking about wasn't necessarily just being emotional for the sake of being emotional, but like expressing himself as in speaking his mind. Like he can't even speak his mind at his job. Mm-hmm. He can't say anything to his boss when his boss calls him nigger. He can't do anything. You got to take it. Mm-hmm. And you better not say nothing different or you're getting fired. Mm-hmm. And like he said, how is he going to say anything back to his boss and stand up for himself as a man when he has to go home and he has nine kids to feed? So he has to sit there and be dehumanized day after day after day. And the only time he can talk about what he really feels. Hopefully will be in the confines of his own home, but it doesn't sound like from what he was talking about with his father, his father didn't do it. His father felt comfortable at church for whatever reason, but that's what I hear from what James is saying. 
Yes, but that's how we got here. I don't, what, I'm, what I really am trying to say is I don't want us to underestimate the price paid for us. I have a great deal of respect for those people, for, for my parents, for people that I don't know, for the whole, you know, everybody who's shuffled. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's a phenomenon to me how you could be mistreated and then come home and mistreat someone the same way in order Well, first to of all, Nikki, first of all, Nikki, you say mistreated, or I say mistreated. No. But in the, per the mind of the person who is doing it, he's not mistreating you. Well, I'm not dealing with that. Well, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to even, I mean, let's not for a minute. Let's say in the mind of, let's say, your father, who is just an example, mm -hmm, or the mind mm -hmm, of my father, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? He is being mistreated. I'm mm -hmm. not going to deal with the cracker that's mistreating him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to deal with him. Mm -hmm. He knows that he is not being treated with the respect due him mm -hmm. as a person, mm -hmm. as a black man. Mm -hmm. Okay. In order to like get that together, when mm -hmm. he comes into that house, mm -hmm. he begins to like brutalize my mother, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Which mm -hmm. becomes like a phenomenon to me, because I don't like white people and I'm afraid of black men, right? Mm -hmm. If you could follow what I'm saying without anybody well. writing a letter and saying sister, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but you can. Okay, so where do, what do you do? Listen, you have. To, I think it's, what it's, you it's have. It's a cycle. Mm. What do you do? Shots fired. That is such an interesting conversation. Bang, bang. Um, shouts out to one of my friends that's having a really tough time in the dating field when it comes to Portland. And <laughs> Shouts out to her. For sure. Because she's had <laughs> some really, really interesting uh, discussions with black men. Um, she's had some white guys that are telling her, you know what I mean, trying to get some of her time and things like that. And it seems to me that she feels that black men are pushing her into the arms of white men. Wow. And I feel like this part of this video was really interesting because the trauma, whatever we're, whatever situations that we've been dealing with as a, as a, as a collective, as a culture, um, black men <laughs> are going to take, statement, bro. Which, which one? <laughs> black men are pushing her into the arms of white men. That's funny. That's it. That's from her. That's from her mouth. Wow. And that is, that is something that she is struggling to deal with, but she also doesn't understand how to become the person that she doesn't know how to catch what she wants. I think that's the best way to put that, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm listening to Nikki talk about, I am, I don't like white people, but I'm afraid of black men. Where does that stand? Where does that take place in this community? Because we haven't healed from the trauma of the 50s. We haven't healed from the epidemics of the 70s and 80s. Where does this, where does this, where does this play out when it comes to the family dynamic? When it comes to, um, what, 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 I, put, I wrote a note saying that it's almost like Nikki doesn't understand that hurt people hurt people, right? Mm -hmm. So when the person that's at the foreman, when the person that's at the job and he's getting harassed and he's getting abused and he feels like he has to take it because he has nine children at home. Mm -hmm. So when he does come home, he has to put on a show for home as well. Right. She said something a couple minutes that, you know, in a couple minutes that I thought was really captivating as well. But where is, where is that person's, um, do you think that that works? Do you think that you can't come home and be genuine with your significant other if you're not going to be significant with people on the outside. 
You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, it's it's a unique conversation for that time. I mean, the times are different now. So, like I was saying, like, we're not subject to what they were subject to in the 40s and 50s. But you know? we, And I understand that we have so, our own issues with that. We have our own understanding yeah. of white supremacy and how it affects us at the workplace yeah. when it comes to not having and having to support a family and seeing somebody that doesn't look at you as an equal but might see you as subservient to them. Mm-hmm. How do all these things play out when it comes to the modern workplace and how you take that? Do you have you in the past internalized that stress and put on, you know, a show for your family as well? Or has it been... You know, do you just shove? Yeah. Do you express it at home? You're like, yo, babe, I just haven't had a good day. I don't want to talk at home. Blase, blase. Yeah. How, how has that been able to well, be mitigated I, I, with I you will personally? Say, I will say because for the most part, I've been in a line of work where it's pretty much do for self. Um, I've always been in sales. I've never worked since I've been out of college. I've never worked an hourly job, you know. So I got paid for performance. So I eat what I kill in sales. And so I, I've all and I've I can only I feel like I can only be in like a sales or an entrepreneurial environment as far as like me being able to thrive in a work environment, because I don't do well with stuff that what she's talking about, like with politics and somebody telling me how valuable I am just based upon their perception. I know how valuable I am and numbers don't lie when it comes to sales. So I, I've never been in a workplace where I had some white boss that was holding me down um, just purely off of my color. Cause like I would always get things based, I would get paid based upon what I did, you know? So um, I've been in a unique position to not even have to deal with that. So I can't even, I can't even answer that, bro. <laughs> like, you know, you, you deal with racism in society for the most part, but I mean, I'll ask you, you know, you know, if you've worked hourly jobs and you've had like a white boss that kind of controlled, you know, whether or not you were getting a raise or whatever the case, like, how do you, how have you dealt with that? You know, um, that is something that has never kind of, I haven't crossed paths with that either. Mm-hmm. I haven't worked in a corporate setting Yeah, and I don't know what office politics is like. Yeah. Um, that's something that I, I know that I've dealt with discrimination but I haven't dealt with somebody taking money out of my. So what? My when pockets. you say dealt with discrimination, like what does that look like? Um, it looks like uh, a table not tipping you the twenty percent that you deserve, and you know it's because of where they're from and how they view people like you. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like there are certain, and there are no ways that you can. There's no way that you can kind of like justify it or describe it. But I think when you're sensitive enough to really know people and when you know that you're not coming from a place of looking at somebody like you have to prove to me that you're not racist or something like that you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like you're looking at somebody as just a person until they bring this kind of like demeanor and rhetoric to you that's when i am challenged with um that unfairness or whatever you want to call it you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying so it's never been from the top down it's always been from whoever I'm, you know, buying from, selling from, you know, whoever well, actually, I'm, whoever no, I'm th- selling to. No, I think about it, though. You, you did tell me a story about how, like, you weren't able to get certain tables and you were there earlier than somebody or something like that, like at a at a restaurant. I wasn't able to get certain tables. Like you were, like you were, um, you were there earlier, um, but you weren't able to, like, to service, like you weren't able to, like you were working at a restaurant or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. I worked at a restaurant and I wasn't able to get my 
Nah, because I'm thinking, I'm not even thinking of the scenarios. I'm thinking of the people that I worked for and the managers that I've worked with. Was it Miss? You were something at, well. Oh, here in Portland, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's here in Portland. Well, I'm, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Here, to, here, here no, you know what? Here in Portland, I definitely have had, and when I think about the service industry, Portland, it, it, it was such a short stint. Yeah. Um, yeah, here in Portland, it was definitely office, it was definitely office politics. Mm-hmm. And it was definitely um, somebody that is almost kind of seeing how much you need something mm-hmm. and so they treat you accordingly yeah so, so it was they, that for lack of a better term or with discretion mrs united restaurant <laughs> that's funny yeah because yes. I, I was really one of the only restaurants i worked in right um yeah it was definitely that restaurant i would even say that the other restaurants i worked in as well mm-hmm. gave me a choice to either stay where i am or leave, right? But we're, but they with, weren't. But with a promise of advancement. Mm. So yeah, 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 yo, you get you you do this and this, yeah, yeah, we'll make you this in in no time. And when you're performing, and they go, oh, but you're so good at what you do, we haven't found somebody to replace you. Oh well, just stick at this. Mm. We'll 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 get you there. We'll get you there. <laughs> and then when you Empty find promises, of course, right? And so that is something that I don't. That is something that I put on office politics more than I put on race when it comes to that particular situation. Now, the other situation where people weren't being fair politics from race. Yeah, for sure. Mm. For sure. Office politics was the first was the first restaurant I was working in. Uh, Mrs. United was definitely a place where if this isn't race, there was no way that this would happen. You know what I'm saying? Like if I were a white woman and I were coming to you with this complaint, there's no way that you wouldn't see this Mm -hmm. as a as an equity issue. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And just trying to spread equity along. Oh, that word. And all these, yeah, equity is really, really interesting because it's all about value, right? It's so hot. It really is. It's a hot word. Tell me about it because I'm I'm in a place that uses that word a lot. It's on fire. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That is, um, yeah, I really, I really, Portland's middle name is equity. Say again? Portland's middle name is equity. Pseudo equity, bro. (laughs) I really think that I like your point when you say that we can't compare what we think and what we experience to that of that time. That's when that conversation that time, was really man. dated, man. I'm glad I didn't live in that time, bro, because I would have been dead. You don't, you, don't, you don't think that. I do. I do. I don't I don't see my temperament going over well in those those type of environments. Like even me, like I said, even me working in an hourly environment, like I'd be thinking about it. And it's like not getting paid for like my worth. And having somebody determine if I'm going to get a raise or not. And then when they give me a raise, it's like, well, we'll give you a dollar an hour. Like, a dollar an hour? Like, what do you, you know? Like, I just, it's hard for me <laughs> to hold my tongue and deal with that type of control over, you know what I mean? Over no my doubt. money. So, that's why I've always been drawn to sales jobs. No doubt, man. Because, yeah. yeah, you don't need any of the politics. You don't need no friends. You just need performance. That's it. And I respect that, man. Uh, we're going to move on to another conversation if you don't have anything else to say about this. Um, another part of the conversation was um, Nikki's perception of masculinity. And what mm. I found really interesting about that is um, we, James Baldwin says we internalize society's masculine, society's um, interpretation of masculinity mm-hmm. until we almost self-police, right? And so Nikki was talking about... Um, 
walking 10 paces behind the man because that's what makes him a man and that's what's going to make him feel like a man. Mm. And she's like, yo, I, you know, and that that has no problem. I have no problem with that. And um, I'm going to let her say it because she said it in a really, really eloquent way. And I thought it was, I thought it was beautiful. I really thought that it, it helped me keep my masculinity in check and um, had me ask myself, how am I, uh, how am I expressing myself? Um, the way that I think, you know, I should be expressing. Let's take a listen. So that the black men say, in order for me to be a man, you walk ten paces behind me. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it means nothing. I can walk ten paces behind a dog. It means nothing to me. But if that's what he needs, I'll never get far enough behind him for him to be a man. You know what I mean? Look, I'll never walk that slowly. Look, Nikki, if at the, at the risk of, at the very great risk of pulling, of seeming to pull rank. No. You know. <laughs> pull rank. You know I'm, not, I'm not. Go really. on. I'm not. <laughs> no. But I'm, no, no, I don't mean that. But no. What I do mean is that, what I do mean is that I've, a great many things which seem, if I may say so, new to you, are not new to me. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I can say then, Okay, I see the I see what the cat's doing. And how long I can tell you almost exactly how long he will do it. You know. I know that a great deal of what passes for black militancy right now is nothing but a fashion. You know? <laughs> at best. You know, at best. <laughs> something will rest, something will remain. What is important about it is not the details, not the not the given, you know, people, you know, or the given so called leaders or any of that jazz, you know. What is important is the impulse out of, it, out of which it has come, the ferment out of which it has come, which it reveals too, and what's valuable in it will, will remain, and the rest will go. Yeah, but what's uh, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but again, what's uh, what's valuable will remain, and what is isn't will go. Um, I love James, man, the way he thinks. Bro. Very much so, yeah. very much so. And Nikki, yo, shouts out to twenty year old, twenty eight year old Nikki in nineteen seventy one because she really brings clarity and, uh, and understanding to uh to james or at, at least ah, oh, thank you at least in a way that um i mean she's about to get him caught up in one of these really really powerful um back and forths that she has mm-hmm. but masculinity um i know that sooner or later they're going to start talking about providing and how essential providing is to a man and it has nothing to do with his partner or his children. But I think providing is very much, I don't know if this is for you, but providing is very much tied into self-worth. Mm-hmm. And I think that going back to my homegirl that's, that's, that's finding it very difficult is that a lot has happened in these last 20 years even, mm-hmm. right? I think more women are graduating from colleges. More women are getting... Um, salary you know high paying jobs and things like that so Mm -hmm. a a man's value a man's perceived value in a woman's life is different Mm -hmm. right um somebody told me something that i don't think i'll ever forget and she says black women are on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to america but black women don't act like it black men are not on the bottom of the totem pole but black men act like it Mm 
And I think that there is almost a switch going on when it comes to us socially, mentally, whatever it is, and that we see that there is an advancement going on with our partners that we, as a culture, as a society, whatever you want to call it, don't know how to manage. We don't know how to manage women getting all these opportunities, women having a voice, women doing this and the third. And the black man used to be able to just be like, yo, I'll take you out for dinner, blah, 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 and the third. I'll take you, I'll pay for you, I'll do this, I'll do that. But that, you know, she's like, I got my own now. And my homegirl that's having a hard time, I don't know how to tell her what reasons why. I don't even know if I know the reasons why, but I know that there are certain symptoms of society that is creating um, disharmony, mm-hmm. right? We're not getting the mental health we need. Mm-hmm. We're not getting the help we need. We're not looking at each other for um, for for experiences. We're not looking at each other for help. We're not looking at each other for whatever it is. Where do we fit in when it comes to what's going on in society right now? Have you been challenged with with Providing for your family, has it been different switching from a corporate business to basically entrepreneurial business? And how has that affected your personal understanding of your value in your relationship? Well, before I left my job, you know, um, or was it was it before or after? It was around that time, sometime last year. But basically... Um, my, my job, me having a job or not having a job hasn't affected my ability to provide or like, I don't, I don't put my self-esteem in my job. If I did, I would be miserable, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I don't have like an employer. And so no, but like, basically one thing that I did realize, um, within the past year or two was that, that breadwinner mentality that we're kind of taught to have as men is overrated and kind of what Nikki alludes to throughout this conversation is like, as far as my wife is set up and the way Nikki is set up, like it's not like the money isn't the biggest deal. Like money is cool. Providing is cool, but emotionally knowing that I'm there being a protector, being the man, like her man, her husband that loves her and takes care of her um, in every way that he can, in the best way that he can. That is what's, what's important. The amount of money that I make is cool. It brings comfort. But like me walking away from my job and doing ride share and hustling with the podcast, I've cut my income in half. But but also I haven't but I haven't put us in a position where we're struggling. You see what I'm saying? So it's like I'm still providing because I'm the financial person in the household. And so I make like, you know, we cut back on a lot of things and we talked about this has been a process, you know, so we've cut back on a lot of things, um, cut out stuff that we didn't need. I refinanced the house, um, paid off her car before I before I quit. You know, it's just like I, I just did a few things. And let her know throughout this whole process, like I'm, I made her secure about the process because I was very detailed and told her like how it was going to go, what I was going to do. And I did what I set out, what I was going to do. And so she's been very easy and very supportive about it because at the end of the day, she supports me. But we're talking about you and your personal understanding and your personal self-worth when it comes to your masculinity. 
your understanding of your value in yourself, right? The reason why well, I, I don't have a problem valuing myself. If that, if that's what you're asking. Like, I don't have a problem valuing who I am and me being a man, like, in any sense of it, whether it's because of money or lack of money or whatever. Like, my, my self-worth is just, do I love my wife? Do I love my kids? Do they know that I love them? Do they value me? Like, my 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 level of esteem is based upon my contribution and my relationship to those that love me the most. Am I valuable to them? And if I am, then I'm valuable regardless of how much money I make. Cause kids don't know they're poor unless they start looking around or if you, if you talk about it, you know what I mean? Hmm. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying like they, they don't know. If they if they grow up one way and, you know, a lot of people say, like, you know, when they, they grew up in the hood, they thought everybody was kind of cool. And then they didn't know they was poor until they went to college and seen all these rich white kids and seen the cars like, oh, shoot, we ain't have none of that. You know what I mean? But if you just kind of if that's all you know is X, Y and Z, then X, Y and Z is it. You good. But so as long as they have a good experience and they're loved, that's all that matters, bro. And so all the material stuff. Like that don't that don't make you a man. Okay. And so that's that's how I see it. How about you, bro? Uh for me, I think um again being able to provide the lives that I think that the people around me deserve. I think about my brother and what I can provide for him right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that my life now is different from my life six months ago. Mm-hmm. And in my esteem I'm able to create an easier life for those that I love based on what I can bring in right bring in as in what does that mean based off what i can bring in monetarily Mm. based off what i can provide for them okay if my brother can talk to me over the phone because i was able to pay his cell phone bill that creates in me value that i can help my brother be do better Mm -hmm. right and i think that is very much tied into what i can provide for my brother what i can provide for my friends Mm. the time that i can provide for anybody that's around me so if you can't provide, then your self-esteem will dip. Definitely. If mm. you can't provide, and that's I'm, that's just me being honest. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe you don't have that effect. Um, but if I can't provide, I'm not going to go out and and try to talk to this girl that I wanted that I, that I liked. Mm. Right. If I'm if I'm not going to be able to provide, I'm not going to be able to you know what I mean go out to this party that my homeboys invited me to mm-hmm. because I know that that my my personal self worth isn't there because I can't do the things that I want to be able to do. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely part of my self-esteem mm-hmm. and it's great that you don't have that issue. It's great that you're able to put your value in, in love and in like, you know what I'm saying? Whatever you put your value into and not saying that, like, I I wouldn't even say my self value. I would say that my understanding about me as a man, mm-hmm. right. I still have very, I've been broke for a long time and I still have excellent self-esteem. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to off myself, but I also know that like, when things are going well in my life, when I'm making money, when I'm able to move and, and shake and things like that, mm-hmm. I have a self, I have a way of presenting myself that is very different yeah. from when I don't. Well, I guess I I got to check myself because I haven't, cause, you know, I've been in a sales environment and I've, I've done well for myself. So I haven't been in a place of lack. So I I haven't been tested. You know what I mean? So I don't I don't know how I, resp- I will respond if I couldn't provide because I've always provided, whether it's for myself or for my my wife and then and then my kids. So 
Um, because I haven't been in that situation, I don't I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that pressure is like. I don't know what it I don't, I don't know what that feels like, bro. So um, I might mess around and break <laughs> if I go broke. I don't know. So I can't I can't have the hubris to say, oh, I'd be good if I was broke and I couldn't provide for my family. I don't know. I haven't I haven't been there. So I'm not going to put that past myself. Gotcha. Word. Um, but I but I'll say this. I ended with this. I try not to put my self-esteem or my masculinity in a breadwinner mentality because um, because the breadwinner mentality for me and my marriage has taken away from the emotional um, attention that my marriage needs. Because I would I would gloss over certain aspects of my relationship with my wife because well, I'm making the money, ain't I? You know what I mean? Like the bills is paid. We going on trips. Like what you, what you complaining about? Like we good. Like don't, I don't want to hear that. I got to go to work. You know what I mean? Working long hours, working 50 hours a week, whatever, working six days a week. Um, and just not, not going on dates, not, you know, not talking a lot, you know, just work, kids, sleep, work, kids, sleep, boom. And not really paying no attention to my marriage. And so I thought as long as I'm, as long as I'm bringing home the bacon, everything is good. I shouldn't hear no complaints out of you. Like that is some messed up mentality when it comes to a marriage, like over the long, in the long term, that doesn't work. It works in the short term when you're trying to build and you're trying to do something, you're trying to save and buy a house. Boom. I need this 15,000 for the down payment. Okay. I got to put my head down and work. And we ain't going to be able to go on dates. We ain't going to be able to go on trips. But then after that's done, I was like, all right, now I got to pay attention to this because I've taken away from that. You know, I got to have some balance. And so I wasn't balanced. I wasn't spending time. I wasn't investing in my wife. I was only investing in my company or in, in the job, the, the company that I work for, not my company, but the company that I work for. And, you know, I was making money, but it was like, now my, now my marriage is suffering. So, you know, that's powerful, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Next clip. Um, I think this is James talking about, let's see what we got here. The remaining, the rest will go. Yeah, but what's uh, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, but again, what, what's uh, sort of sad to be is that the same syndrome that say our fathers set up, mm-hmm. coming from many, you know what I mean? My father is your age, mm-hmm. and the same syndromes Jesus. that they set up. Well, you know, he's a little yeah. bit older, fifty-five, but the a same bit older, fifty-five. Thank you, baby. Well, seven years older. <laughs> <laughs> the same syndromes, which which is being set up, is being perpetuated, mm-hmm. is that once again the black man is becoming the figure to slide away from. You know what I mean? That that once again, the black man is the figure that you say, "Well, I can't, I can't handle that." And if you uh, if you visit with the states, or you know, you talk to people enough, you'll see that that same syndrome. You know, the little guys that mm-hmm. are standing around crossing mm-hmm. their arms, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're not lovable. They're not giving any love. They could give a damn about me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that's that's unfortunate because I need love. Yes, but sweetheart, sweetheart, it what you're saying is very very serious. I'm not I'm not in the least. Very serious indeed. Mm. I think giving love is absolutely important. And if you okay, brother, if you knew, if you were to rank, who was that giving love? Not even a rank, because that's 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 pointless. How important is it for us to learn to be lovable as black men? I mean, it's it's everything. It's everything, bro. Like. Regardless of black or not, like everybody needs to be lovable. But yeah, for sure, as as black men, it's we're just overcoming. We have to overcome all that's been stacked against us. 
and we're trying we're in the process of overcoming centuries of multi-generational trauma. Have we internalized this trauma? Of course. Oh, so, for sure. That's that's why that's why we act out the way that we do is because of the trauma. Do you think we're alone when it comes to this? Do you think alone, that black women internalize their trauma and are we all have all any any black any any uh American descendant of a slave, like any black American has trauma that's been passed down. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book that I'm reading right now is called post-traumatic slave syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. And she, she breaks it down. So basically uh, post-traumatic slave syndrome or PTSS is just a function of PTSD, but it's tailored to the, the black experience mm-hmm. in America. Um, so, you know, when, when black women say, you know, they're not going to be with a black man because they don't want to deal with this broken individual. Well, the black woman is broken as well. Um, so it's it's not. We're, we're both equally going through this. We're both simultaneously going through mm. it. Um, I think the black woman is, is coping with it better because they're just able to cope with certain things better because they're emotionally they're more advanced more women, intelligent women sure. are more emotionally intelligent than Absolutely. men so they, they can cope with these emotions and actually work through it i would imagine as for well sure. i think black women have been you know finding therapy and seeking out ways to heal yeah uh way before we have been yeah and that um that quote is really interesting because post-traumatic slave syndrome is something that affects not only those that have gone through it, but also those that have to be raised in a culture that has that in mind. You know yeah. what I mean? And so for those that are listening that, that don't know or haven't heard of what it is, the actual definition of post-traumatic slave syndrome or PTSS is a condition that exists when a population has experienced multi-generational trauma resulting from centuries of slavery and, con- and continues to experience oppression and inst- institutional racism. Um, added to this condition is belief, whether real or imagined, that the benefits of the society in which they live are not accessible to them. Um, so that is that is the black American experience, mm-hmm. multigenerational trauma and the benefits of the society are not accessible. The wealth of America is not readily accessible to us. It's been reserved for the white elite and they continue to pass it down and keep it within themselves. And we continue to fight for crumbs, you know, and, uh, and fight who fight each other, fight. I mean, we, we fight each other because we get put in those ghetto, you know, the ghettos, the, the pro the quote unquote projects. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like there was a, there was a huge contingency of black home ownership, even through the forties and the fifties, you know, and then urban renewal and, you're sold a bill of goods. Like, hey, man, we can live into these. Pro- you can move into these projects. This would be good for you guys. You know, you have businesses at the bottom and you have you living situations at the top and it'll be cheaper. And, you know, so, yeah, man, we, we fight in the system and we, we we're fighting each other, unfortunately. Yeah, that's really. Um, how does how did how did you learn to become lovable? I'm learning. I'm, I, I can't say that I am you know, have achieved that status, but I'm learning. Like I'm literally in the process. Do you feel like your wife has, we talked about pastor John Gray. 
<laughs> and his relationship with his wife and how he feels his wife has helped him and do these different things. Mm-hmm. When it, Not necessarily about being a person, mm. but when it comes to being lovable, you feel like you are more lovable than you have been in your past, I would assume. Oh, for sure. Um, do you think that there is, uh, was this self-work? Did you have a model to, to go by? Did you have... Um, I just meet me going to counseling. Okay. Yeah. How's that been? It's been good, bro. I haven't been in a while because I had to keep rescheduling because of other, you know, conflicting things that have been coming up in my schedule. But it's just been good, man. Is just, there something that you didn't think to think about that counseling kind of gave you open eyes on? Like just one thing that you were like, oh, this makes this all, all this worth it right here so far. It's kind of hard to put it into okay. one thing okay. because it's just a continual, like, Unveiling, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, like, just, you're just learning about yourself. Yeah. And uh, and then you're just being mindful of how you react or how you process certain information um, because you've already talked about it. And so you talked about it with, with your person, and then you go home, and then something arises, and you're like, no, we just talked about this. I'm not going to react this way. It sounds like Because historically, this is how I react right. in this situation. And so when you feel that... You feel like you want to say whatever it is that's inside of you. Mm. Just don't say it. Mm. Just just let it simmer down. You know, let yourself simmer down before you start talking. Yeah. You know, and so just being mindful uh, of of certain things in certain situations, and just being mindful of of how I am and in in my childhood and why I, you know, may act a certain way because of what I perceive I didn't get the type of attention that I feel like I didn't get as a child, you know, that I thought was due to me, you know, or um, just certain ways that my parents communicated or certain way, you know what I mean? Just like certain things that happen. um, I realized, Oh, I'm just trying to get the things that I didn't get that I thought I should have had. And so now I'm taking it, you know, in a form of like when I used to get in trouble in high school, like, my dad would sit me down at the table and just grill me. And it wasn't no yelling. It was just, like, telling me all the reasons why I, what I did wasn't right. You know what I mean? And how I could do it. I'll, I'll just just doing what parents do. There's nothing, like, over the top, but it's just, like, but I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk, bro. And that is my number one form of it. So just talking. I just want to talk. I want my mind to be heard. I want you to respect my mind. Because I value what I, how I think and what I say, and I want you to value what I say. And so because I couldn't talk in those situations, then I noticed myself over-talking in those times of conflict or times of disagreement. And it's now I'm realizing I just need to shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Just allow her to process whatever it is allow myself to actually reflect and think and listen more than I talk. So. Do you feel like you're breaking the generational trauma? Would you say that you're passing that along to your child? Are you, a, I'm, are you I'm breaking tipping, that link? I'm that's, that's the goal. I'm still learning. And like, and this is all fresh to me, like within the past 12 months of discovering or really six to seven months of me going to counseling. But even, even before that, been trying to parent different so that I don't pass down certain things and certain styles of communication um, 
to my to my son and to my daughter. That is new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. So this was uh, the reason why I asked this is because uh, getting back to the getting back to the video, Nikki asked. Nikki talked to James about something I found fascinating, and she says, in order to break the cycle to create the new child, someone has to fake it, right? So that person that is coming home angry or that person that was, you know me, at work being abused and all these different things, that's not going to work for the household, right? None of that's going to work. So if you don't have it, you have to fake it because if you, you're just passing down the same trauma. Right, you're passing down the same experiences. You're not doing anything new for this child to grow up any differently. I mean, I, I hear what she's saying on that, and obviously, once again, seventy-one. <laughs> but uh, right. no, I don't. I don't believe that. You know, faking it till you make it is the way to go. I think you have to become the change that you want to see for your kids. So being being fake, being disingenuous, is only going to last for so so long. Eventually, when you get put in situations of stress, um, the higher the stress, the realer you are, the less BS you can pull off when you're under stress. And so, um, being fake to me, that's not, that's not a cure. It's a, it covers up. It's like, it's sweeping dust under a rug. Like we, we got to clean up so you can either sweep dust into a dustpan and put it in the trash or you could sweep dust under a rug. I feel like being fake is just sweeping dust under a rug. So you, if everything appears okay, but you pick up that rug, the dust is still there. How do you, how do you see it, bro? I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to like conceptualize that when it comes to um, passing on that information to somebody else. Because mm-hmm. on one hand, if a child sees their parents talking to each other, that's positive. That child doesn't have to know that the parents don't like each other. That child doesn't care if the parents love each other or not. That child is only concerned with, like, seeing how they interact with each other. If respect is there, okay, then I'm going to have a positive understanding of how my parents communicate with each other. And I'm going to communicate with to somebody with respect and high regard to how they feel. Um, so in, on one end, I, I do see that faking it will work because that... You, uh, in order to change the dynamic of what's going on, like she said, in order to change what has been systematically happening to us, something has to be different. We have to be able, and and the society is not a, is not giving us the resources to change the situation. So we have to fake it, fake it till you make it. I think that phrase has served me well over my life. When it comes to the different positions and the different places, I wouldn't be on a sailboat in Central America if I didn't just fake it until I made it. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't have the opportunities that I had and I wouldn't be the places that I have been um, if it wasn't about being confident in my incompetence. <laughs> mm. uh, so I do see the value in that. Um, but I do want to play that clip and just kind of get uh, and hopefully hopefully I'm, I'm paraphrasing her correctly. But, yeah, let's see what she has to say. No, this is, I'm not being rational. You know, and I may love, I may love you, especially if I love you. How in the world am I can't come with nothing? But, but it's not, I know it doesn't make any sense, Nikki. But no, a man is built like not, that. You see, when we talk about and we talk about the children, 
right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about like, let's say my little boy, mm-hmm. your nephew, something mm-hmm. like that. We talk about you. How are we going to create the new child in the same old syndrome? Well, somebody, somebody well, has of, to fake it first, enough. You understand? Some, somebody has to say, hell no, I can't buy you a bicycle. You don't need one. Yeah, and smile about it some, so the kid can say, I'm not afraid of daddy. But sometimes that happens, and I draw... But so, not enough to talk about... Um, we're talking about the group. Yeah, 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 but wait. We're wait, talking wait, about the group. Hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone, hold the phone. Hold that phone, hold that phone, Jimmy. I like that the, the, the announcer called him Jimmy. Jimmy and Nikki. I thought that was super cool, man. Uh, yeah. Where do you... Where do you I, I still think that there is there there is value in that a little bit. I think that you can you can show somebody, even though it may not be all that they know. You know what I mean? Or it might not mm-hmm. be the truth. At least they see it. Uh, it's just like arguing in the house. You know what I'm saying? I think what she was saying, she like fake your fake your emotional state. Like not like she was like telling Jimmy the truth, but then like putting a smile on it. Right. Yeah. So you know, oh yeah, and that's what we're saying. We're not saying be fake. No one's saying be fake. Mm-hmm. But we're saying you have to fake the emotions. You, when you come home and you have had a really really tough time at work, mm-hmm. I need you to help me with these children. I need you to help me fake a good conversation mm-hmm. so that they have a good example in their lives, at least for the first ten years of their life or whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I can't find the downsides of but that. my my thing is with the whole equation why be fake when you can be real because being real in the 50s was hard i know but that's what i'm saying like yeah in the in the 50s i get what she's saying because you don't have an outlet like you don't have no you have little to no options as far as like how you can get around your economic situation mm-hmm. and how you provide for your children as a man mm-hmm. but it's you know in today's day and time we don't we don't have to fake it. And so that's what I'm saying. Like, even I, with trauma, I get, even with the, the you know, well, I, mean? I don't I don't think you can fake your way out of trauma. Like trauma is is as real as it gets. But so, you're not faking your way out of it. You're providing you and your wife have a disagreement. Y'all mm-hmm. are not on the best of terms right at the at the moment. Mm-hmm. Y'all still going to the dinner. Y'all still going to, you know, what I mean, to the mm-hmm. outing with your kids or something like that. I'm putting on that front. Right. Just let's just all right. We'll talk about this later. I do still love you, and sometimes you can fake your way into actually like loving that person. I'm gonna be like, yo, I'm going out with you. I can't stand seeing you right now, but I'm gonna really fake until I can. And then something clicks, or you're just like, yo, I am having a good time, and we don't really have to like, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to be in this bad mood. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you of course things are gonna happen where like you get in an argument, disagreement, whatever, and then you go out in public, or whatever, because you gotta go somewhere. But as far just. Maybe it's the semantics that I'm getting caught up in, you know, like you not wearing your heart on your sleeve. It, that's kind of what I'm perceiving, like what, what you're saying, like being like being fake around it. You know, it's not, to me, it's not being fake. If you go out in public and you and your significant other aren't, aren't on the best of terms, you just go out in public and you just act accordingly. You know, so I don't know. But at at the end of the day, I'll never say, yeah, being fake is the way to go. Like, I'm going to I'd rather be fake than than be real. What what I would what I would say when given that proposition is just like work through it the best way you can and just just be constructive in all that you do. So you don't have to 
respond or give energy to every emotion that comes over you. But just be be genuine in your actions and just handle it accordingly. We're going to skip down to another part of the video that talks about um, something I think is extremely relevant to what's going on right now. And when I heard them say this, it was almost uh, a chill went down my spine because I feel like we are in the midst of this. Hold on, Oba. Yeah. Are you faking it right now? Faking what? The the emotions. I seen I seen you shaking your head. I I seen your facial expression. You don't you don't I, have to you don't have to fake it with me, bro. And I appreciate we that, man. But I know the value in faking it with you. You know mm. what I'm saying? I know so the tell value. Me, tell me about that because this is good for the listeners. So I feel like if we're you going are, through it right now. No, I don't think so. Not necessarily. Well, you say you're faking it. So when I'm faking it, what I'm faking is what is what I want to do is to rebut. And what I want to do is get you on my side of the argument, right? Mm-hmm. What I want you to see is that, yo, faking it is something that we do and it's something that's valuable and it's a tool that you can use. It doesn't mean that you are fake. It means that, you you know, thieves aren't the only ones that steal. Mm-hmm. So you're using this tool in this way. And specifically with children, you're using this tool to be able to increase the perception of love and unity within this community. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to a corner and hash out whatever issues you're hashing out. So right now mm. what I'm saying is, okay, you can have your ideas and you can have whatever you um, believe in. And I'm not I'm not telling you, 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 you the thing I cringed at. Would you is like you, to tell me that I'm wrong about what I'm saying? Is, what, that, is, that, thing, is that like the urge inside of you? I want to rebut when you say things like, I'm never going to tell somebody to be fake over being real. I'm, I'm In my mind, I'm like, where where does that come from? In my mind, I'm like, no one is telling anybody to do that. But I'm going to let that be because that is you expressing yourself in your mind. No one in this whole conversation said anything about being fake. We're just saying sometimes you have to act like you have to act different than how you feel. And there are specific well, strategies and reasons. Now, yeah, when you to say me, I don't be interpret fake, that as, as, see that as, as faking relevant. it. Acting different from how you feel to me is not the definition of faking. So if we, it, it just sounds like we have two different different definitions of faking it. So that's where our disconnect is at. I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, because like, like what I was saying is you don't – I said you don't have to act out on, your, on every emotion that you have. Hmm. So just because you have an emotion doesn't mean that you have to act out on it. And so um, – that that would be my definition of just being real. If your definition is you have an emotion, but you don't act out on it, you're just faking it. Then that's that's how you perceive that same set of behavior. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, and also to bring it back into context, when Nikki was talking about the black man coming home, right? Hmm. Long day of work, working with the foreman, working on sharecropping field, whatever it is, you don't have you don't automatically come home with a smile because you've mm. been living a day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you come home and for the sake of your family, 
you put on this smile, you put on this facade, you put on this mask mm. to say, yo, I'm going to be this for my family because I know that my children need to be able to see a man in their life that acts like this. My, my significant other needs to have a partner that is interested in the things that they have to say and is interested in having these kinds of discussions, even though you really don't want to. I think there's a value in being that fake. And that's the kind of fake that I was talking about, which was relevant to what she was saying. You get what I mean? Yeah, kind of. Somewhat hurt. Not really. Hello, baby. Hello, baby. Since it doesn't change the machine, Hello, doesn't change the parties which they allegedly represent, doesn't mean anything. I'm saying you can't tell a white man, a black man by the color of his skin. <laughs> Or maybe no. you can't tell. Maybe my, my quarrel is very subtle, but maybe I'm saying you can't tell a white man by the color of his. Cannot. You cannot tell a black man by the color of his skin. I, I just hate that I waited until the age of 33 to discover James Baldwin. Like, I just feel mm. so stupid, mm. for lack of a better term. Mm. Yeah, I'm super Um, He, like, what he's, like, everything... Just about everything that he says resonates with me. Now. <laughs> so 50 much. years later, bro. So much. No you cannot tell a black man by his skin. Modern day, the same all skin folk ain't kin folk. Absolutely, yeah. Man. That is, that's something that is so powerful because I think I went through my, I went through my time trying to be as... I went through my time trying to be as anti everybody else as possible. Which trying mean? to be pro pro my people. Pro you know black. what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely pro black. When it comes to who I date, when it comes to who I associated myself with, when mm. it comes to who I wanted to, you know what I mean, like do anything with. Mm-hmm. And I really understand that like when it comes to love, I understand that because I think that that is that is a sacrifice mm. that you make. For your people. I know I could probably fall in love with somebody from Cambodia, somebody from Korea, Mm -hmm. somebody from Venezuela. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can Mm -hmm. fall in love with somebody from the Kong, from any, from anywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm choosing to be selective with who I expose myself to in a loving situation. Oh, but that sounds like discrimination to me. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know what? It's really wild how some people have a problem with that because it's a trigger word, right? Oh, my goodness. But you discriminate between meals all the time. You mm. discriminate between cars. You discriminate between clothes. Like, mm. we all we all have now bigotry and discrimination. There's a huge issue with bigotry. Mm. But there is discrimination is taste, right? Mm. Discrimination. And that discrimination is be, is in response to discrimination that has been put on this people. Right. Mm, My whole life, I never thought of color as much as I think of color in these last two, three years. Moving out to Portland, maybe being in America at this time, maybe. But Mm, again, like the the first person that makes me even think about it, even before Portland was Barack Obama. Mm. Because it's really the white agenda being carried out with a black face. And there's so many like support. Oh, he couldn't do. Oh, he had his height. Oh, he. In my mind, there are certain things that you can be, you can strategize about. 
NAACP just put on a really, really fantastic, not just, but maybe like two weekends ago, they put on an all-black male summit where there was like like 20 to 25 black men that all came together and see how we could rebuild our community. Did I send you that link? You told me about it. Tell me I, how that went, bro. Bro, it, man, when I tell you, bro, I remember listening to each person talk about their personal experiences with the with their community, where they're from, why they think the black community is not thriving the way it should thrive, right? Mm-hmm. I'm listening to at least 15. I came a little late, so I'm listening to at least 15 people talk before me and I'm like trying to formulate formulate my own thinking, right? When it got to me, I said that the reason why I think um the community is in shambles right now is because people are looking towards the youth. People all, of all ages are looking <laughs> towards young people, trying to help out young people. See, the next generation, they they they, they, they come, be they're the ones. ones. They're gonna be the ones. Yeah, we got we got to give it to them, bro. And I <laughs> and I kept on and I said I was like, look, man, I think you're really underserving those of us that come right before them. Right. Mm -hmm. 25 to 35 year olds. We don't have it figured out and we're just as lost. And if you think you're going to be able to get in touch with them without us, you're lost. Mm -hmm. And bro, like as I tried to say all that, the tears just started coming down. man. Mm -hmm. I was like, yo, I'm so tired of trying to figure this all out by myself. You know what I mean? I never had a mentor. I never had somebody that come in and be like, yo, man. Don't do that. That's five to ten. You remember that Dave mm-hmm. Chappelle skit where he was like, mm-hmm. oh, every black community has somebody that mm-hmm. knows jail, you know, sentences and things like that. Right. And, bro, when I tell you I've never cr- – I cried so much that I had to like, – I couldn't even say my name. Brothers were coming to try to, like, pat me on the back and be like, yo, man, it's good, brother. you here. you in love. What's your name? Blah, blah, blah. I couldn't even speak, man. Like, man. it was really, really – I've never felt that kind of emotional it just surged out of me bro it really was it really was and that's how i knew that that was really really important just being around that many black men that had a common goal i I don't think i've ever been in the besides sports i don't think i've ever been in a group of black men like that i don't think i've ever been together with a group of black men with one intention of like trying to do something that's one of the things about church that served me so well bro like i remember there was this one book like for one at at the church that I came from, Mount Olivet, like it's it's a huge church. There's mm. a lot of people there. And so they have men's breakfast once a month. You know, all the men have breakfast and have somebody speak and whatever. Everybody just talk and see each other, whatever. So, um, but it was like this book that everybody was, was reading. I mean, if you, if you chose to do so. And, uh, but with the, so you read the book, it's like a book club. So it was like a hundred dudes in the room, but like you have your group of like seven or eight people. And it was all broken up by different generations. You know what I mean? So it's just like if you was 20-something, there was only one of you at your table. And it's like 20, 30, 40. So I got to, like, listen to stories about, like, manhood and fatherhood and just, like, dudes, like, grown men, their regrets on how they raised their children mm. and how they how they related to their children and how they have strained relationships because of the strained relationships, like they don't have, and they're they're trying to recreate that through being a grandfather and just like trying to get it right through being a grandfather and just you know, and it's just like man, I got to get so much game and so much perspective, and so some of these things that's going on in society and like things that people haven't had access to, you know, I've been fortunate to have access to it, and I take it for granted because it was normal for me, mm. like going to a church that has. 
you know, three, 4,000 members. So therefore it's like a good 1,200, 1,300 dude, like people that I know that know me, that pour into me, that, that care for me, you know what I mean? That check up on me, that have supported me throughout my whole life. Like that's just common to me. You know what I mean? But like, it's not common for everybody. So I just got to check my own self and just like, yo, like stuff that's common stuff. That's just like second, like why y'all question this or why is this such a big deal? Like, well, it's not everybody didn't come up like that. You know check your mean? privilege, bro. Got to check it. Please. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. Supremacist. <laughs> I'm a black male. You're a male love supremacist. <laughs> male love supremacist, bro. Uh, I black think male mentor supremacist. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, um, that's a, that's a, that's a great place to be. Yeah. Um, I think that on both ends we're lacking. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like power when you don't have it you lack and when you do have it you lack that empathy Mm -hmm. you don't know what it's like to not have power kind of it's like what you were saying earlier you don't know what it's like to be like broke Mm because you've never been broke Mm -hmm. so it's like you do have a way of seeing the world that is very much like no i've never really fallen flat on my on my face you know what i'm saying i've had somebody be able to catch me or i've had some some systems that I was able to put together in my own life to mm-hmm. where I've avoided these kind of pitfalls and there's there's yeah. a real value in that but there's also like you don't really know what you don't really know what the what, what the bottom feels like I will say that the best time of my life was when I was broke though in college by yourself oh right, right, right. my right, god right, right. being a broke college student but also not having really no responsibilities and you're around a whole bunch um, of bro, uh, bro college students. Oh man, that was bro. Dude, that I was heaven that is, on earth, bro. I think that is the single greatest experience about college oh, that God. made college worth it for me. It was nothing about the academics. It was just being in a hub of twenty thousand people your age, your socioeconomic range. Everybody was the same, bro. That that right there, we were all struggling, it. right. We were all eating cup of noodles, bro, on a daily basis. Bro, splitting cup of noodles, <laughs> dog. That's how Yo, it that's, was, that's kind of sick, bro. Split, not cups of noodles, though. It, splitting instant I'm not, ramen I'm, packets, I'm never splitting a cup of noodles know, with anybody ever you in my know. life, bro. You don't know, man. Because your homegirl had it on meal plans, and she just had a couple extra, so she was able you to. split a cup of noodles, bro? bro. We, not the, we split instant ramen, bro, for a couple weekends. <laughs> We split instant ramen. Man. Okay, but instant ramen and couple noodles, that's, that's different. Yeah, you're right. Instant ramen is a little bit more. Okay. Couple noodles. I'm not, I'm not couple splitting noodles the cup. Ex- couple noodles are more expensive, so we couldn't afford it. I'm not splitting the cup. That's I like might, a, I might like break dollar. I might break the instant ramen in half like you get one. Right. Okay. Right, right. I, I see where you're going that's with That's how we did that, okay, man. that's cool. Because it was 33 cents or whatever it was. Word. Word. Um, I don't know if this is going to be a good time to end this, a good way to end this, but I think that that black, that black male comment was really powerful. I really, really appreciated hearing you say that because that gives me more of a vantage point of saying, wow, we really it's so it also brings so much value to how different we are and how much we enjoy each other's discourse and having these types of 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 topics to speak on because we speak on them from very different vantage points. And I really, really like that. And right now, um, just to wrap this up, I think that I'm still struggling with that notion of black first right mm. because i'm looking at people like shouts out to cole reed over at open house she's doing an open workspace um she put it right on mlk right there on alberta mm-hmm. and she does black fridays mm. every friday anybody 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 that's black can come in and use the facilities for free all day what every friday 
right? I did not know it every Friday bro. about the and this is a beautiful thing. Wow. And this Thank is something that, that I yeah, I hope you take advantage <laughs> Yo, of because I'm will. there every I Friday, bro. Will. Yeah. This is something that I don't know if she could have done if she didn't have her white partner. Right? This is something that Uh-oh. I'm like, get get into white saber territory. That's what's going it, on? Well, you know what? She is. Not, if you wait till you meet Cole, you think she's a victim. She, you think she needs a savior, bro. Wait till you meet Cole. Mm. This is something where this is somebody. I'm not going to say that she was like strat- she was strategizing to pull resources out of them, mm-hmm. but this is something that she knew to do. And I look at Jordan Peele the same way, and I'm looking at all these different people with all these mixed. Um, Mixed relationships, right? Mm. Mixed race relationships. And I'm saying that has to be true. It All skin folk and kin folk has to be right along with find your love, whatever it looks like. Mm-hmm. Be that better person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there is, and, and I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to balance it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I do still think that I owe my community um, a black relationship because you're seeing less and less of those as the days go by. That's and it is problematic, I think, but I, I, I also think that there is, uh, I don't know how to reconcile that. I really mm. don't. And I think that that could be a, a conversation on its own. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. So what, so you, you were saying something about black first, right? It's yeah. hard for me, for you to be black first. Right. Because while uh, knowing that all skin folk and kin folk. Oh, just while knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and also I come from an upbringing of I only knew I didn't have my first white friend till college. Mm-hmm. So I only knew black people, I only knew Italian people, I only knew Portuguese people, I only knew Puerto Ricans, Dominicans and things like that. Like that was mm-hmm. what I knew. And so I treated y'all like I like I am. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we're all the same. Mm-hmm. I didn't treat us like we were any different. I can come over your house and eat arroz con pollo. You can come over my house and eat, you know what I mean, like fufu and dodo or something like that. Like mm-hmm. we would just exchange culture like that. Mm-hmm. There was no I got to be with my people, you got to be with your people kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it really wasn't until maybe even Georgia I didn't feel like that. It really, really, really wasn't until either 2016 or excuse me, 2017 or Portland that made me think of black first. Mm. But how can I think of black first knowing all skin folk and kin folk? Well, I mean, I, th- I think with that exercise, just the fact that you know that all skin folk and kin folk gives you an advantage to be able to quote unquote discriminate. So just because you see a black person doesn't mean that you have to take for granted that they're going to relate to you in the way that you think that they should relate just because they have the same skin color. So, you know, you, you get to know that person and I mean, it's just, it's just like anybody just else. Like though. anybody. That's you, exactly you, what I was going to say. You, you get to know the so person, that, you see who they are, you see exactly how they operate. Right. And then, and then you see if you can be compatible with them. And that's how I've always been before Portland. And there's something about this dynamic mm. that doesn't make that attractive to me. About the dynamic of being Portland's history, one out of a hundred, seeing one out of a hundred black one one black couple out of fifty black couples during the day, where out of fifty couples period, out, out of, yeah, out of mm-hmm. fifty couples during the day, if you're lucky, something about that makes me want to change that. Mm. I don't want young people coming up and not being able to see themselves, not being able to see a Dwayne Wade and a Gabrielle Union, yeah. not being able to see that. And in a place like Portland, 
I don't know if I brought this up with you. I've been having this conversation with, with my partner. But that's where polygamy comes into play. I believe polygamy to be something that is constructive and necessary in situations where there's not enough men to satisfy in, in ratio of, of women. Now, is this any men or this is black? I'm talking about black men. Black men in particular. Yeah. I mean, any man can, can enter into whatever contract he wants with anybody when it comes to polygamy. But like, especially in the black community, we know that we are disproportionately affected by the um, by the justice system. And so there are so many of us that are in prison or in jail for whatever reason. And so there's way many more men in prison than women. So therefore Mm -hmm. there's not enough eligible men out there to satisfy the number of women that want a black man. When you're just talking about monogamous relationships. So therefore just logically, Hey, there's not enough men to go around. If there were women, and, and honestly, I had this conversation a long time ago. I think it was episode 31's uh, side chick culture. But it's like a lot of women are already settling to be a side chick. But why be a side chick when you could just be a sister wife? You think the side chick culture, you don't think that's dead? Mm-mm, not at all. <coughs> I think it's Instagram just. Instagram and all this stuff? Like, mm, ain't, no, no, ain't no keeping secrets no more. Somebody's going to But it, that's later. the thing. The side chick culture is not a secret. Like, the. Uh, I forgot the song by Scissor that I based the whole episode off of, but like where she was talking about, it was, I think it was called The Weekend. You could have a Monday, Friday, on the weekend. So she's like, look, you have him during the week and I'll take care of him on the weekend. I don't care what y'all do with him, but he's mine on the weekend. So it's like, it's like this, this situation where these women know <coughs> that there's others involved. And it's just like, all right, well, shoot, he going to cheat anyway, especially if somebody that, can take care of himself and take care of you at the same time. So financially they can, they can handle that. And, and that's what those, there are a lot of situations where women put themselves in there and they're cool with being a side chick. Do you know any polyamorous relationships? I don't. Do you know any side chicks? I know plenty of side chicks. Yeah. Like that, who are just like, no, I'm cool with being a side chick. I know my place. Well, I can't say like, I know their, I intimately know their, uh, situation. Not their situation, but just like, (laughs) Oh yeah, he's married. I mess with him like that's. No, I mean it's it's all circumstantial. I'm not. I'm like twenty seven percent serious with this conversation. So it's all circumstantial, and uh, it's a conversation that I had with my wife, and it didn't go over too well. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> to say the Shock, least, shocker there. <laughs> <laughs> but I I pitched it to her a couple of years ago, and it didn't go over. I think it was around the time I did the episode, so like a year and a half ago, and it didn't go over too well. And. I'm saying this to you because I feel comfortable with you, and I know I can say it to you. But I won't go home and say. It. But of course not. <laughs> nor nor would if she comes to but me. But as far like, as the podcast, about- we can have this conversation. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I think that that is a that's a really. But that conversation is only going to be had oh, if man. women get on board with that, man. Of course, uh, everybody is- has to be. If if there is a polygamous relationship, the only people would only enter into it if they agree with the terms. So a lot of people think of like, well, ain't ain't no woman going to let you be with another woman and they're they going to get jealous. They're not going to get jealous if that's not what type of time they own. They don't have to. They don't have to sign up for that if they want to sign up for it. And you guys lay out the groundwork of the relationship and how the house is going to be set and the financials and whatever sexual like that's up to you all. 
and and you determine how you do it. And if everybody's down and everybody's now, if you're, you, you wouldn't get into a marriage that with somebody that you're not compatible with. Same mm-hmm. thing, you wouldn't get into a polygamous relationship if you're not compatible, and not cool with the with the other women or other men or however it's set up. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, you know, it's a it's a contract that people would willingly enter into if they want to. Polyamory is going to be a really really interesting conversation. I think that's something I want to bring up um, to my homegirl. Mm. This is a this is a great part too. A little, little low energy. It was very much like a, a calm, chill time, and I this think that we're going to— This is part three, my brother. This is part three? Yeah. Damn, lucky yeah. y'all. Lucky y'all. I guess you edited that out. I <laughs> <laughs> um, And see what we can give these people next time, man, because we still have not finished this video. And we haven't talked about our—we um, got a lot of videos to catch up on, man. Yeah. We haven't talked about um, Steve Harvey— Mm. We haven't talked about. You've been itching to get this. Nip. I really do, man, because I think that that's a really divisive part of the co- of, of the culture. Mm. That that's the reason you have your Snoop Dogs and your Dr. Dre's, and that's the reason you have your Nipsey Hustles. Mm. It's because of that um, Steve Harvey and Monique conversation, mm. and so many people are okay with being a boule, and some people aren't, and we're not having that conversation right now. And I think that mm. really needs to be had, bro. That's a that's a strong statement right there, my brother. Snoop Dogg is boule. Definitely. Wow. Definitely. Wow. Absolutely. Mm. What? Keep that same energy when he comes into the studio. Dude, no problem, man. The you boule. Can't, you, the you, boule? Can't, you can't call you can't say boule to a crip. All right, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I, well, well, I hear you. Well, that's that's the reason that's the reason. Call a, call a crib a boule to his face, bro. What you say, Kyle? Snoop Dogg. Who, who had a who had a show Kool-Aid? with Martha? Who had a show? show my Martha name. Stewart. <laughs> that 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 Snoop Dogg. All right, bro. Um, signing off. Once again, y'all, it's the Socks and Sandals podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Grace and peace. Peace.